I had mentioned to you this morning that wherever Jesus is leading, wherever he is leading you is a good place in life. And I talked to you about the first two aspects of what Jesus is trying to teach us as he is uh, uh, leading us, as we will allow him to lead. And the first one was he wants us to experience his glory. The, the, you are to experience Christ's glory. Whenever you allow Christ to lead you, he wants you to experience his glory. We saw this in <clears throat> that there was a private meeting with G- Jesus, James, and John, and Peter. Then it was upon a private mountain. And then there was a private manifestation where Jesus was, was actually transformed, transfigured right in front of the disciples. The glory that was veiled by his humanity, the, that, that veil uh, uh, was lifted, and they saw Christ in all of his glory. I, I use the word his blazing glory, and that's exactly the way that they saw Christ. And a good place in your life is when you get to experience the glory of God in your life. But then secondly, the second aspect as we allow God to be able to lead us through Christ is that you are to experience Christ's greatness. We saw that there were two great visitors and then uh, we talked to you a little bit about that and we also talked about how uh, Jesus was uh, uh, greater than these two uh, visitors. That, that there was a great voice that came out of heaven and uh, how uh, God the Father said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. And he was showing how Jesus Christ was greater than Moses and Elijah and how Jesus Christ fulfilled all the law and what the prophets taught. Not only are you in a good place in your life when you get to experience the goodness uh, or the glory of, of God and the greatness of God, but number three here this evening as we take a look at some, uh, something new here, you are to experience Christ's graciousness. As we allow God to be able to lead us Christ to be able to lead us, he wants us to be able to experience his graciousness. I want you to turn back to a very familiar psalm, Psalm chapter 23. Would you turn back there uh, with me, if you would, please? Psalm chapter 23. And I want you to see here the graciousness of God. This very familiar psalm, and we all know it as uh, the, the Lord is my shepherd, the, 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 that God is my shepherd. And take a look, if you will, how God leads. In verse 2, he leadeth me beside still waters. Verse 3, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And he says in verse 3, they, the, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. And my whole premise uh, for this message is that no matter where God is leading you through Christ, it's a good place. In Psalm 23, we can see that, that the psalmist David, as he had written those words, that even though he was being led in the valley of the shadow of death, Christ or God the Father was still with him and he was helping him. It's the graciousness of God that he is with us. And the first thing that we see in our text this evening in verses 6 through 9 is the grace of his touch. The grace of his touch. In verses 6 through 9, we see the disciples, it says that they were sore, afraid, and they fell on their face. What we, what we see is, what does Jesus do? He doesn't get disgusted with the disciples. No, what does he do? 
He doesn't disparage the disciples, but he moves towards the disciples. Jesus came to them. He, he approached them. I, I think it's a wonderful thing for us to think about that Christ doesn't want any of his children to live in fear. The Bible plainly teaches us what? That God has not given us what? The spirit of fear. And the Bible tells us that we are to have a, a sound mind, that, that, that's what the, that that's what God gives us, but we are to have a, the spirit of love and of a sound mind. And it was Christ that made a move towards these men, and he, he saw these men in their frailty and in their humanity, but he still made the move towards them in his graciousness, and he gave them his personal touch. See, Christ was showing these men that even in his glorified state that he was still real. He was there for them in the midst of the most different experience that they had ever had. And you know, friend, there is nothing better than to have the personal touch of the Lord Jesus Christ to drive away fears, to drive away, to destroy doubts, and to wipe away worry. It's the personal touch of the Lord. There's nothing that can take those things away on a permanent basis than the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that, that heals the soul. He's the one that heals the mind. Take a look at Psalm 103. It's the touch of Christ that can heal all the soul's diseases. Take a look at Psalm 103, if you will, please, and verse 3. See, there's nothing better than the personal gracious touch of the Lord. And as we allow the Lord to lead us, he, he wants us to experience his glory, his great, greatness, and his graciousness. And take a look at Psalm 103, verse 3. It says, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Here's the, here it is. Who healeth all thy diseases. See, Christ wants you and I to experience his graciousness through his personal touch of peace in our own lives. But not only do we see the graciousness of his touch, we see the grace of his presence. Take a look in these verses. It says in verse um, 8, if you would, of our text, and when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. After Jesus came to these men and told them that they didn't need to be afraid, they look up and the only individual that they see there is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was left, the only one left of the three. And he was still there and they had his presence with him. The point is, <clears throat> it's great to be able to have wonderful experiences with Christians. And to be able to, and it's wonderful to have great men and women of God that we can look to and that we can admire. And it's great to hear preaching from Holy Ghost anointed preachers. But friend, if we have a choice to be in the physical presence of a great Christian or to have the presence of Christ with you, I would highly and strongly encourage you to take the latter instead of the former. See, we ought to desire the presence of Christ more than anyone. We ought to desire that Christ would go with us more than anyone. When we have the presence of Christ, we can experience his graciousness in our life. See, it's the presence of Christ that what? The presence of Christ brings life. It's the presence of Christ that brings hope. It's the presence of Christ that brings forgiveness. It's the presence of Christ that brings peace. 
It's the presence of Christ that brings joy. It's the presence of Christ that brings love. It's the presence of Christ that brings uh, victory. It's the presence of Christ that brings mercy. It's the presence of Christ that brings salvation. And if we've got a choice to be able to be with a great man of God or a great woman of God or have the presence of Christ in our life, I I would encourage all of us to desire to have the presence of Christ in our life so that that way we can experience his gracious touch in our life. Not only does Christ want us to experience the glory and greatness and his graciousness as he leads us because wherever Christ leads, this is what I want you to remember. You're going throughout the week. Remember, wherever Christ is leading, if you're following Christ, wherever he is leading, he is leading you to a good place. You can never go wrong following Christ. Never. And so if we are going to follow Christ, the last thing that he wants us to experience is he wants us to experience Christ's guidance. You are to experience Christ's guidance, verses 10 through 13. We see, first of all, guidance in the valley. In verse 10, the Bible says, And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not. But have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the, John the Baptist. You are to experience Christ's guidance in the valley. What do we see here? We see, take a look back in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 4. What does Peter say? Then Peter answered, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. Then in verse 9, it says that they're coming down off the mountain. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, See, first, Peter's saying, it's good to be able to be up here in the mountain. It's good to be able to stay up here on the mountaintop. And yes, it was good. I don't know about you, I only can speak for myself, but I thoroughly enjoy the times when I get to experience Christ in a personal way. When I just, when I'm having my devotion time, or I'm in prayer, or I'm in uh, meditation upon the Word, or, or uh, just spending time alone with the Lord, and I just sense His presence there. You, if you spend any time with the Lord, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know those mountaintop experiences. And it's good to be there. But Jesus didn't allow the disciples to stay there. See, it was good, but you and I, we realize that life isn't lived on the mountaintops. See, we should enjoy the mountaintops. We should cherish the mountaintops. As, as Jeremiah said, we could use this phrase. He said, this I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. We can remember the mountaintops. We can recall them to our minds, and they're a wonderful time. But uh, after every mountaintop, there's a valley that we must go through. And it's in the valley that we get to exercise what we've learned on the mountaintop. It's in the valley that we get to uh, start to apply what we have experienced on the mountaintop. And it was on the way down from the mountaintop that Jesus told his disciples not to tell anybody about what they had just seen until after he had risen from the dead. You say, why is that? 
Why would Jesus not want his disciples to tell what had just happened? Well, one of the reasons is because there had been some that already tried to make Christ king. They tried to make Christ king by force, and, and if this experience would have gotten out, there may have been other attempts to make Jesus Christ king. See, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples how to live in the valley. Live by waiting upon God. Live by his ways and his timing. See, live by what you know to be true, but live it in the will of God. See, Jesus knew that there was a time and a place for this to be known. But he knew that his death had to come first. And he did not want anything to circumvent his death and resurrection. And so he told his disciples, look, don't say anything. Don't tell anybody. See, Jesus didn't want anything to get in the will of the Father. And he did everything according to, the Father, uh, to what the Father wanted and the Father's timing and in the Father's will. See, Jesus was headed back to be crucified in the valley and then to rise from the dead. And what's interesting is that in the valley, it was the greatest victory that took place. Because that's where Jesus was crucified and risen again. And friends, this evening, though we like to experience the mountaintop, we've got to learn to be able to live in the valley. Just like Jesus was teaching his disciples that, hey, we can't stay up here. There's something for us to do. There's something that must be done. And Jesus willingly left the mountaintop where he was glorified to be shamed and shunned by the world in the valley. But not only do we see guidance uh, by Jesus here in the valley, we see secondly the guidance in the word, verses 11 through 13. Guidance in the word. You would think that the disciples, when they're coming down off the mountain, that they would have been talking about what they had just witnessed. And in some respects they were, but instead they asked Jesus a question. He sa- they, 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 they say, why did the scribes say? What's interesting is they didn't say, why does the word of God say? They said, why did the scribes say? Why did the scribes say that Elias must first come before the Messiah and restore all things? I want you to turn over to Malachi, if you would. Malachi chapter 4. If you're not quite sure where that is in the Bible, that's the last book of the Old Testament. So if you're in Matthew, just turn a couple pages back, go to your left, and uh, you'll find the book of Malachi, chapter 4. And all you long-timers that open Bible only thought Malachi talked about tithing. That's it. <laughs> I, was, I, was told, I was told recently, you know, I'll give some tithing talks, something like that. And I was asking some folks, well, you know, just some questions. And they, they put in there sort of a blurb for me. And they said, uh, by the way, Pastor, your tithing talks come, come nowhere near close to the way preacher would preach to us about tithing. So if you think I, I'm, I'm hard on tithing and heavy on tithing, uh, maybe I'll have preacher come back and preach for uh, five or six weeks on tithing and, and uh, get everybody straightened out on that. Man, some of you old-timers know exactly what I'm talking about, right? I mean, I'm pretty easy compared to him. But Malachi does talk more than about just tithing and giving. And we see here in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, 
This is what the, the, the scribes were referring to, and this is what Jesus was referring to. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So why do they say that Elijah must first come? And this question almost seems out of place. But the reason for the question was since Jesus was just glorified, and they had just seen Elijah, you know what they're asking? Why should the Messiah have to suffer? We just saw Elijah. Jesus was just glorified. Why should the Messiah have to suffer? They were a bit confused. So Jesus says, yes. You you must have Elias come first and restore all things. But then Christ goes on and says, but look, he's already come. He's already come and he's already come, but they did not know him and they killed him. And who was that? He was talking about John the Baptist. See, here you go. The purpose of this, what, what, what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples, it was the forerunner of Jesus. The forerunner of Jesus was not to prevent the suffering and death of the Messiah, but it was to foreshadow the suffering and death of the Messiah. That's exactly what John the Baptist did. Did he not? I mean, was he rejected? Yes, he was. Was he murdered at the hand, as, as an innocent man, at the hands of the Gentiles? Yes, he was. See, and Jesus points them back to Scripture. And he reassures them that Malachi's prophecy was fulfilled in John the Baptist. You say, well, what was the restoration part? It says that it was supposed to be, that there was supposed to be restoration. The restoration was the ministry of preaching and the widespread repentance that happened during John the Baptist's preaching. But I believe full restoration awaits. I believe that when Christ returns, one day there will be full restoration. And Christ, the the whole point of this, that Christ wants you to experience his guidance. What does Christ do with these disciples? They had a question. They were confused. They've just experienced all this. And what is Christ doing? He's leading them and he's pointing them back, what? To Scripture. And the point is, friend, that whenever we allow Christ to lead us, and whenever we are in doubt or we are confused or we're not sure the direction to go, what should we do? We need to go back to Scripture to see what Scripture has to say. I don't know how many times I've told people, they say, Pastor, we think we ought to move, or Pastor, I think that I ought to take this job, or Pastor, I think that uh, we ought to do this. What do you think? And usually the first thing is, it's not what I think, but what does God think about it? You say, well, Pastor, uh, God doesn't specifically say what job I should take or, or uh, the exact person that I should marry or, or uh, what house I should live in. You know, but what I found is if you go to the Lord and say, Lord, in my devotional time, in my time with you, would you just give me a verse to hold on to? Would you, would you just give me something? Now, there's not going to be a verse in the book of Hezekiah. I'd like you to turn there. Please don't turn there. There is no Hezekiah. It's not going to say in Hezekiah 1.1, now you need to move to 1073 New Brooklyn Road. It's not going to say that. 
it, 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 you're not going to hear, you ought to take this job at um, the nuclear plant. It, it, you're not going to see that. Uh, you're not going to see, well, you need to marry somebody with the name of Susie. No, but what I found is if you are earnest and you are uh, wanting to follow the Lord, and if you say, Lord, give me a verse to be able to hold on to, that God will give you something out of his word that you can hold on to. You say, wait a second, even during the hard times, because no matter, even if you're following the Lord and he is guiding you and he is directing you, there's still going to be difficult times. You can, and you can go back to that verse because doubts may flood your mind. Say, I wonder if this was the right thing to do. You can turn back to that verse and you can say, wait a second, God gave me this verse. He gave it to me clearly and I know that I'm on the right path see you don't have to take things out of context to be able to twist them but God can be able to open up doors too many times you know what we do as Christians instead of following guidance from the word we go we go with guidance from our feelings and what happens to feelings they're up and down they're all over the place but you know what, if you're, if you're looking for guidance from, from the Lord, he may not tell you exactly who to marry, but he will give you some qualities from the word of God that you ought to be looking for. Well, you know, nine out of ten they line up. Well, if it's not ten out of ten, you shouldn't do it. or if you should move to that place, or if you should take that job, there are things from the Word of God that God will give you if you just ask Him. See, Christ was pointing the disciples back to the Word of God, and He says, Elias has already come. See, Christ wants you to experience His guidance, whether you're on the mountaintop or whether you're in your valley. And the way that you do that is through His Word. You do it through His Word. Too many times we make the, the Christian life more complicated than it needs to be. You know what I found? If we just follow his word, if we just do what his word says, we'll be able to experience Christ in his glory, in his greatness, in his graciousness, and in his guidance. We'll be able to experience that. You know what we want too many times as Christians? We want a magic pill that we can, just, we can just have and we can know it all and it'll all work out. But folks, just like you don't run a marathon in five minutes, you're not going to be able to experience these things in your Christian life in just one instance. It is a lifetime of following the Lord, walking in His Word, and understanding that wherever Jesus is leading you is the good place. And he wants you to experience him. His glory, his greatness, his graciousness, and his guidance. But friends, the only way that that will happen is if your heart is open to experience that and you're in his word. There's no secret to the Christian life. There's no secret to be able to experience these things. 
It's just being a person of the book and allowing God to lead.